beginning today, that picks up with last week. I gave you homework if, in fact, you felt inclined to do that. It was a comparison between the Beatitudes and the denunciation of the Pharisees. And by the way, they follow perfectly. And so I'm going to have you turn with me this morning to the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew as we begin talking about salvation this morning. And we look at Jesus um, teaching on what genuine faith is, what genuine faith is. And what I want to say to you today is we talk about salvation, we talk about genuine salvation, we talk about genuine repentance, we talk about genuine faith, we talk about the things the Lord called out, and he called them out clearly. And a lot of Bible teachers and a lot of commentaries would say that Jesus Christ was harsh in some of these areas. He was not. It's just this. It's not a plaything. It's not something that we conjure up. It's not even of our own volition, our own power, our own desires that salvation comes. The Lord said, unless God draw men to Christ, they cannot come. It isn't something you get up one morning and say, I'm going to be saved today. I think I'll get saved today. You know, I've got my chores pretty well taken care of. I have some time off. I think I'll get saved today. It doesn't work that way. You don't get saved on your time and your way. It doesn't happen that way. The Father draws. The Spirit convicts. The heart repents. Salvation comes. It is not a mental ascent. And so I want, I want to take you back to the Beatitudes we began this morning. I want to show you some things that as you study the Bible through the years and you start finding out how the Bible is written and start finding out the cadence and the patterns of the speech of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit teaches, by the way. All of these things are in here for our learning and our understanding, our edification, the Bible says. Now, first of all, we want to say and make it clear one more time as we head into this teaching on salvation. I don't often go back and do a topical message, but I'm doing that now because we're at that place, I think, in the book of Mark as we're studying through. It's been four weeks since we've been in Mark. But we're studying through Mark, and we're getting there. And uh, I know you're fascinated. Quit acting like that. So here's the deal. These are all for our edification. They're for our learning, our understanding. And the gospel, according to Jesus, is very different than the gospel according to much of the commentaries in the churches today. And I think it would be unfair of me and certainly uh, not fitting to a servant of Christ to uh, agree with some of the things the churches are saying today. And so let's look at it. And here's how we look at it. We use the scriptures. I'm not asking you to believe a thing that I say. I'm asking you to look into the scriptures, study the scriptures, show yourself approved unto God, a work of the deed of not to be ashamed. Would it be something to stand before Christ one day and be ashamed because I never really studied your book? Do you believe with me this morning that this is a letter from God? This is a love letter from God to you. And the Lord's going to say to most, most, most people, you never read my letter? What do you do? Man, I, I had Netflix. God, I had Netflix, man. I carried YouTube in my pocket. I could look up things you wouldn't believe. And he said, you shouldn't have. <laughs> I could look up things I, you, you wouldn't believe. And he said, yeah, I wouldn't. You shouldn't have either. You should have put that down and followed me. Now that seems harsh. I know it does. But I want to say to you on the outset and many times in this passage, I want to teach you this. I want you to get this. I want you to see it from the Word of God. He created you with an intended purpose. And to not fulfill that purpose, I don't care what you have, what you own, who you are, what you build. You've wasted your very life. Now that's the one that they tell me will get you preached off of the platform. You'll never have a following or a church. I'm not asking you to follow me. I don't want a following. I want Christ to have a following. He said, follow me. Him, not Don. He said, take up your cross. Deny yourself. 
and follow me. Bigger than the church knows what he said. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And so let's begin this morning with prayer. We thank you, Father, for loving us, for keeping us, for giving to us so abundantly, and yet seeing us waste and live in confusion. Father, thank you for telling us so clearly, over and over, it's not about what we have, but who we are because of you. Each of us who have mirrors can look in the glass in the morning and see the years fading by. We see less of this and more of that. And Lord, we just know that the days are coming when we'll see you face to face. May we stand before you. May the people in this audience in the hearing of these things today stand before you with joy and not sorrow. Not being ashamed that you're coming because we lived our lives for the things that we wanted instead of what you had for us. Help us to understand your purpose. Help us to understand your intention. Help us to understand why, why we are here and give to you all that we have. And so, Father, be with us, teach us, push the cares of this world out of our hearts and minds today. We pray the Holy Spirit speak freely to us. May we do the things you've called us to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so we go back to the opening remarks, the opening sermon of Christ, his presentation of the kingdom, the very first words of Christ, in his ministry, and I think that means something, his very, he opened his ministry with these words. It is called in our Bible the Beatitudes. It is the Sermon on the Mount. The first thing he said publicly was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. There is no salvation without total and proper and genuine repentance. And what repentance means, as I was taught, and what, what repentance means as the Lord spoke it are different things in my opinion. It's not just admitting you were wrong. There's a sorrow there that's crushing. It, it leads to a brokenness. And the folks in this world are not often ready nor willing to be broken. It seems Somehow in our days, in our world, and particularly in America today, is a sign of weakness. Well, can I tell you this? If brokenness is weakness, Lord, make me weak. Break me. Break me. We're all going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. All of us. Every man and woman child. We're all going to stand before Christ one day and give an account of this life. And unless you're broken, you know, he's the great fixer. The Lord is the great fixer of broken things, and he will not have you come with baggage of who you are and how good you are at anything. He said, I want you to come. And we're going to look at that in a few moments. Genuine faith according to Jesus Christ, Matthew 5, 3 through 12. And you see this, uh, the foundational characteristic and this is how the Lord speaks, and I wanted you to see this as we look from last week to this week. Last week we compared the Beatitudes of Matthew 5 to the denouncing of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, and they follow exactly in opposite form, where the Lord said, Blessed, blessed now, verse 3, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Then The first thing he said to the Pharisees is, Oh, hypocrites. Because they would not be poor of spirit. They would not have poverty of spirit. They would not humble themselves. Now I'm going to tell you, the Bible says the sin that God hates the very most is pride. Do uh, you want to see that for yourself with your eyeballs? I think that's a good thing. Look at the sixth proverb. Six things God hates you. Seven are abomination unto him. Three out of seven are pride. Three out of seven. It's half as you can get with, with an uneven number. Three out of seven deal with pride. And can I tell you this? 
The Proverbs begin, chapter 1, from Solomon saying, This I learned from my father. And he really calls it out to young men. Discretion. Young men lack discretion. Puffy chest walking around, king of the roost. Well, I'll tell you this, I don't care how tough you are and how big you are and strong you are, you're going to fail. And some young man is going to come up and you're not going to be the king anymore. You're not the king now, but you think you are. This puppy chest young man who can't be wrong is an abomination unto Christ. Well, I'm going to do it. I'll do it my way. I'll get it. I'm going to do this. I'm, a, I'm very capable. Well, who gave you a brain and a back and arms, a heart and a mind? Who gave you that? We need humility. So here's what I'm telling you is in the, in the Beatitudes, as well as throughout the Scriptures, when Christ is teaching, it begins with the issue, the problem, or the answer, and it builds from there. And so the number one characteristic for the blessed people, the children of God, the true, genuine Christians, is a poor spirit. Poverty of spirit. It is humility. It has to, it has to go from there up. It can't start anywhere else. It, it won't start anywhere else. And so Jesus puts these in order, and they build one on the other. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom. So they are the kingdom children. What are then the characteristics of this blessedness? What does this humility look like? How do we wear that? What does that look like when we're clothed in the blessings of Christ as a child of the kingdom? Well, the next verse isn't just a random thought. It adds to it and says this, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Then what happens? Blessed are the merciful. This year, this one, I've seen an unmerciful kingdom. This year, I've seen unmerciful behavior among the kingdom children. Oh, if you don't think like me and react like me and do the things that I do, you know what? I'm going to have my way. I am going to have my way or we must depart. All over, business, churches, families have divided this year. Out of what? I'm going to have my way. You will see it as I see it, or you will not see it with me. Do you see the, the building of the characteristics of the child of God, the children of the kingdom? Folks, we're family. We are to love and care for each other. We are a family in Christ. We are to care for each other, not push each other away. Do you see the problems different than I do? Okay. <laughs> okay. That doesn't make us enemies. It doesn't make us one right and one wrong. But I know this. I pray. And I see God's face. And I do what I really believe he's calling me to do. You do that, and we may do different things, but we're still family. You believe it? You believe it, folks? We're to love each other. Well, you're supposed to wash my feet. And then I gotta go. <laughs> you're supposed to wash my feet. We're supposed to bow down before each other and care for one another, attend one another, and love each other. But these are the kingdom characteristics, and you see what he says. The next one is, blessed are the merciful. Is the, you know, that's the next step in the ladder of kingdom characteristics. Can I tell you this this morning? If you recognize your poverty of spirit, you'll end up merciful. It's hard to be proud when you know who you really are. It's hard to be proud when you know who Christ is. That takes all that arrogance out of people. And so when you see a haughty Christian, when you see a haughty Christian better than everybody else and smarter than everybody else and all oh, they have it going on, you see someone who's probably not a Christian. The characteristic is just not there. 
Isn't that interesting? God gave us our physical families to show us what the DNA looks like, the replication of the DNA looks like. Isn't it interesting? He said that he made us where people say to people, you look like your mother or your father. You may look like your grandmother grandfather, but you look like somebody. Hope it's not that creepy one. <laughs> Poverty of spirit. Brokenness. A brokenness that acknowledges spiritual bankruptcy. Now you may be a better Christian than me. That's not hard, and, and uh, kudos to you. You may be a better Christian than me, and, I, and I'll, I'll give it to you all day long. Probably are. But I'm going to tell you this. You're not better than Christ. And if you read Ephesians, you'll find this. He's the standard, I'm not. If, you're, if you think you're going to go stand before the Lord one day and say you're better than all these people, he's going to say, so what? First of all, you're not because you're arrogant. Number two, they weren't the standard, I was. Jesus is going to say they were not the standard, I was. He's the standard of the measure of the fullness of God. He's the ruler. He's the yardstick. He's the one we stand up next to and say, now how do I fare in this world? How do I look beside him? Oh, you have your shortcomings. And so do I. And there are many on my side. I don't know about yours, but we can stand and compare each other all day long. It makes no difference. That's not the standard Christ is. You believe it? Are you with me? Stay with me here. This is, this is the teaching the Lord started with to say this. He said, I know, the Father knows, and the Holy Spirit knows what a genuine believer is, and these are the characteristics. First, you admit spiritual bankruptcy. The genuine believers, genuine believers see themselves as sinners. They know that they have nothing to offer God to buy his favor. He's not for sale. <clears throat> He's not for sale. That's why he came as a gift. He came presented his life, his death, his resurrection. He presented it as a gift to whosoever. He's not for sale. There's nothing I have, nothing you have that can buy his favor and you can't earn it. Now that's different than this life. I sat across the desk and, and on the floor and been in front of the couch at the office and every place else kneeling with couples praying that their marriage and their relationship would be restored and be healed. You can do things to each other that will make love go away or at least cover it so far and scar it up that it hurts so bad that it doesn't seem worth it anymore. Not with God. Not with God because you know what God said? Man, you can hurt your wife. Wives, you can destroy your husbands. And God said, you can't hurt me. Boy, you can hurt you, but you can't hurt me. Isn't he wonderful? You can't hurt him. You cannot hurt him. You can break his heart, but you can't hurt him. He said, I remember uh, right here, tomorrow, 16... 16 years? 18 years. Been married 18 years tomorrow. Good job, Zach. Praise the Lord. Good job, Zach. Great, So, here's the thing. Here's what the Lord says. I remember you at the altar. Oh, I remember you making covenant with me and promising me and that little girl there. And little girl, I remember when you said to him, I will. I do. Oh, I do. Now you don't? The unchangeable God doesn't understand that in his economy. He knows we do it. But you know what he said? Oh, I'm so proud to give you my daughter. I was so glad to give you my daughter. You don't want her? She didn't want you. The way you've been talking to her. Um, huh. Genuine believers see themselves as sinners. 
Young men, let me tell you a secret in the world that goes a long way. Here it is. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Did you get that? Emphasized by a blowing of the nose. It, here is something in young men. Listen, it goes a long way. Honey, I was wrong. And you might even throw in you were right, but that may or may not be so. But you say, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Well, that's not very manly. It's the biggest men on this planet talk that way to their wives. I love you. I see that I made a decision here that hurts you. Sorry. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? I love you. Or else you can go in there and turn on a western and act like it never happened. Let her heart get another layer of scar tissue. And one of these days... She's not going to believe a thing you say. Can you counsel during sermons? Yes, you can. They are counseling sessions. The woman can be the offending party, and often are. Often are. You know what a woman can say to her husband? I was wrong, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You know, you start talking that way to each other, your marriage will heal up. It'll heal up. And if you can if you can offend each other and not confess to each other and ask forgiveness and honesty, you've got nothing but Christ. He doesn't listen to phonies, he doesn't listen to proud people. You don't throw yourself in a climb and kick your feet up and say, Lord, show her. Or vice versa. He married his daughter. She married his son. And so for the genuine believers in this passage to know and believe that they're sinners and they have nothing to offer God, here's the next step that you come to as a, as a child of God. It makes you mourn. It hurts. This is what we've been teaching through the book of Mark. We started in chapter 1 and 2 and 3. These first chapters talk about what we talk about. What does Christ come and do first? What does he do? Look here, we have the passages all the way from Mark. He comes and he disturbs our lives. Oh, it's disturbing to a young man in particular to know this. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to offer. When we got married three and a half, almost four years ago now, Jack and I had some conversations. And I had different conversations at 60 than I did at 20, by the way. And I said this, I have so little to offer you, but God has the universe. Because all that I have is his. I have very little to offer you, but all that, all that he has is yours. If we love him and love each other, we'll ride the high places of the, of the world. And, and, uh, and God promises that, and it's absolutely the truth. Amen, brother. That's true. That's true. If you both love each other and love God, and love him about ten times more than you love each other, you're going to have a home now. You're going to have a home. You're not just going to have a house with people in it. You're going to have a home. And you know this, wherever the other person is, they're out doing you good. Not evil. They're out doing you good. There's a peace of heart with that. They're building the home and the family and the relationship. They're not tearing it down. And they're doing all in an act of worship to God. Because you're the one who started and gave us this family. It's here to worship you. That's our goal. And so Christ comes into the lives and he disturbs. And again, it's a building thing. And if you get to, through the disturbance... If you get to the fact that men, men are the ones who struggle the most and find out you have nothing to offer. Here's what, here's what a man, an honest man has to offer on the altar. I love you and I love God. And he'll make it work out just fine. I promise. I'm going to work so hard. I'm going to give my flesh and my life and my strength to you. I'm going to give it to God, my heart to God, my heart to you. He'll make it work. He promises. And you know what? I've never seen it fail. 
But if you stand on the altar and say this, and I heard a man say it, well, this is as good as I'm going to do. This is what a man told me. This is as good as what I'm probably going to do in this life. I'm going to see what she can do for me. That was his intention and purpose of marriage. It's not the answer. Christ comes and he disturbs you. And when you accept that disturbance and say, it's true, I'm, I'm poor in spirit. It's true. God is true. The next thing he leads you into is a disruption of your life. You know what he does? He disturbs you and points out and you believe in the spirit who you really are. And then he disrupts your plans and your life and all that you have going on. You find out, I have nothing going. What would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Paul had, you believe Paul had it going? Paul, he, when he was Saul and he was out killing Christians, he was admired, he was educated, he was uh, in the ranks, in the, in the file. He was absolutely, and you read it in the second chapter of the book of Philippians, he recounts his pedigree, and then he says this, I count all of that as done before him. It's all done before him. Why? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and that I might know personally from the heart the fellowship of his sufferings. Do you, do you uh, aspire to a place in this world, in this life, that you're so into the purpose God intended for you that you find fellowship in his sufferings? That's so uncommon to the church today, we're lying about it. We love this fat, lazy, selfish, spoiled lifestyle of America. We like it. And it's easy to like. It's very comfortable. But when I said, Lord, here am I. Here am I. And when you said that, did you mean it? Did I mean it? And so here's, here's the progression now. He disturbs you. And then he disrupts you. And it's a process. It isn't it didn't a five-minute interval. It isn't a two-week interval. It's a lifestyle change that begins as we understand he had a purpose for me and I didn't even know about that and so I got to find out what that purpose is and I may have gone to school and I may have started a job and I may have been a bunch of things that he didn't call me to be I may be right in the center of it I might be in the center of it because when he gives you a purpose he gifts you in that purpose and you'll find that's where your joy is when the God gives you a purpose, he gifts you. He gives you gifts in that purpose. Makes it easy. Makes it a joyful life. If you're doing what you're doing, you're saved, you're a Christian, and you're loving your life, you may well be at the very center of his will, using your gifts to his purpose. And the last thing he does is he disrupts you. He disturbs you, he disrupts you, and then he defines you. The first, the first two are fairly quick usually, and the definition, the defining of the person is what we call sanctification. It is becoming, the act of becoming, and it takes a lifetime. The act of becoming what you intended for me to be. It takes a lifetime. You're never too old to serve. You're never too old to learn. Never. As long as you're drawing breath, your eyes, your ears, you some of your teeth are going for you. And if you're still drawing a breath and you're a saved a child of the kingdom, you're going to be learning in this life. And don't think that's strange because we leave here and go to a thousand year class. One thousand years of, you're not ready to see the Father yet. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you what the Old Testament was about one more time. Don't you know the Emmaus Road when Christ walked with those two, beginning at Moses and all the prophets? He expounded on those things in the scriptures concerning himself and the Psalms. Don't you like how the Holy Spirit says, oh, and the Psalms? Like that's, a, like that's three verses to look at. And so, where are you? Where are you? Are you in the disturbed part? Are you being disturbed by his call to salvation? Are you in the disrupted part? Where you're trying to put together what does he mean? What did he have for you in your life? 
or are you being defined now as a life of sanctification? When you get saved, you're justified. Justification. The rest of your life until you die is sanctification, being set apart for His purpose, His use. And when you die, you will be glorified. Glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification. And it all, everything Jesus said or did, built on a foundation and kept building and kept building. He gave the foundation and he kept building on it. The third chapter of 1 Corinthians lays the foundation we build upon. Christians, you should be building. If you're a young, if you're parents of young people, can I tell you this? You got the greatest blessing and the biggest job of anybody on this planet. And it's all easy to do because you love them so much. The only hard thing about children is that you wish you could take their place when they're hurting or it's going bad. You wish you could trade places and take it for them. But it's part of God's purpose and plan to build people. He's building people. But when you bring a baby home, you got, you got the biggest blessing from the throne of heaven in your arms and the greatest job on the planet. Amen, brother. To show and to teach that little one what Jesus Christ looks like. How you doing? I'm not being critical. I ask myself, how, do I, how am I doing? Now i got little ones now. I, my family keeps doubling on me. I had three kids, and they brought three kids, and we had six kids, and now they got six kids. And we're going to have more, I'm sure. I'll tell you something. How am I doing? When they, find, when they get the phone call that my carcass won't move that morning, kind of stiff and kind of blue, and told me it didn't feel good, but I've heard it for 40 years. I didn't know this was a big one. Told me it didn't feel good. What's left of me? It's what those that come after me think of me. It's what, it's what they learn of Christ through me or not. I want my grandchildren to hold hands and sing in front of the church when I die. The church is one foundation. Praise God. That's what my grandpa believed. That's what he believed. And if they can't verify that through their parents, who are my children, it didn't work and I failed. But it's what I believe. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. One foundation. We're moving into a time in our world, in our country, and across the world, you better be standing on that foundation. Oh, the Lord's going to rock it. And you say, you keep saying that. Hang on. Man cornered me about two weeks ago and he said, You told us by the time the tree the grass gets green and the trees bud is going to be a big deal. You don't even know what's been happening when that took place. You don't even know. Can I tell you this? You're going to know shortly. And it's going to rock the world. The Lord knows all about it. Do you remember last September when Jonathan Kahn and Franklin Graham took two different parties of a million to the White House? went to Washington, D.C., and they had a prayer meeting. Well, I was off that Saturday. I'm off all Saturdays now, and I was off that day, and I was cleaning up the garage. And I, I had the radio on in the garage and TV on in the big room, and I listened to that and watched what I could and listened to the rest, and I'm going to tell you something. I told my wife that night, from what I know about the Lord, He'll move now. Those were sincere prayers of repentance and that's forgiveness. Sincere. Do you know what God says He does with sincere prayer of repentance? He stops the universe and comes to your house. He stops everything that's in motion and says this. What did you say? What did you say? I heard from my throne a heart that's telling the truth, a genuine repentance coming from... Is that you? You come on. You come to me. You know, he hears a lot of things. You ever been between stations and you hear just clutter and chatter and noise and static? 
beaters out all the time from the church. Once in a while, there's a clarion call. He stops the world, stops the universe, leans over the throne and says, I heard you, son. Come home. I heard you. I heard you. That's my prayer for everybody in this hearing. If you have it, God bless you. If you don't, I pray that God pours that on you. For the clarion call, the, the clear voice, the one who understands it's not about me, it's all about you. I have nothing to offer, and you've offered it all. And before you, I ask, would you pay my debt? Would you include me in the payment of salvation through the blood? Stops the world and says, come home. And so when they mourn, when we learn to mourn because we're sorry because of who we are not, with a sorrow that accompanies true repentance, this actually crushes the believer into a meekness. You know what meekness is? It's not a whip, it's not a milquetoast, it's, it's this, ready to obey now. Ready to respond to the master's call and obey right now. Matter of fact, as the master is giving me the instruction, I'm heading that direction. Keep talking back to me. I'm heading for the job. And he says, I want you to go. I want you to go. And the meekness of the crushed, the crushed believer that's truly repentant is this. Here I am. Send me. I'll go. I'll go. Crushed into meekness. Then they begin to learn, then we begin, and they begin, all those who are broken in, in true repentance, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Can I tell you something? I'm going to anyway. I'm going to tell you something. If you say you're a Christian, and you believe that, and you don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, to absolutely wallow in the Word of God, you're lying somewhere. The Lord would have to say hypocrite somewhere. You're going to hear phony sometime. The real child of the kingdom after the brokenness and meekness, the mourning that goes on, what should I be? How should I look to this world and to my God? What does a redeemed heart act like in this life? What am I supposed to be? You hunger and you thirst after righteousness and you open the word of God and you say, God, these are the pages filled with the writings of men through the auspices of the Holy Spirit from the throne of God to what he wants and even demands of his children. Explain it to me. You know I don't know how to read this. You know I can't understand this without the author telling me what he means in his word. Show me. Make it clear to me. And before you, I promise I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Oh, Lord, I fall down. I know, and you know, and I know, and I fall down so many about my intention, my purpose, my goal in this world is to do what you tell me to do. You read it to me this morning. You read it to me this morning, and you show me how that applies to me, and before you today, I'll do it. I'll give it the best I've got because I love you. I'm so grateful that you died for me and called me to be a son. You'll hunger and thirst after righteousness. And as the Lord begins to satisfy that hunger and that thirst, here's what happens. You get merciful. You believe it? You start showing mercy to those people around you who aren't on the same page. They don't understand that much. They don't know who God is. They don't care who God is. They're marching and demonstrating and complaining and moaning about their rights. And I'm going to tell you something, Christian. The world doesn't get this. The church doesn't get this. You become a Christian, your rights are gone. You have no rights. You have zero rights when you're a Christian. You're a slave. No rights. 
The church doesn't buy it. But the Lord still said it's so. You'll hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then you'll start getting real merciful. Did you see a lot of mercy this last year? I really believed in my heart. I believed America would do what was being told for them to do for about a month. And then say, you know what? We've done that. Didn't happen. And there's all kinds of different ideas and beliefs about what was real and what was not real. We're about to be told, and you'll see. I'll see. But there was no mercy. Very little mercy in the church. It is the quality that comes from being broken and being absolutely humble before God. You may think I'm wrong, and you may call me weak, and I have heard both things, and I've heard all kinds of things about me, and I've had people turn away, and people say they hate me, but I'm going to tell you this, if you were afraid I was not, I would have worn a hazmat suit for you. Why? I was not made fun of as a child when I was afraid I was comforted. I was not mocked for being afraid as a child in my home. I was comforted. You know who comforted me? People who love me. If you live this last year without mercy, you better check your heart because you may have a head knowledge with no heart knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can sit in church for years and you can hear all the scriptures you want to hear. You can agree and go home. And let me ask you how the Sunday afternoon conversation goes around the table. Are you humbly grateful or grumbly hateful? Which one are you? Are you smarter than everybody else and them stupid people out there? My God, they can't Is that you? I, I would be very afraid for my salvation if that's the way it goes around your house. Because... The crowning characteristic of the poor in spirit is mercy. And you want to know something? That's all I have to plead for in the judgment seat of Christ. Mercy. All I have to plead for. That's all I have to say to Jesus Christ when I see him. I agree. You're wonderful. And whatever you have to say to me is absolutely true. I know it. your mercy. Be merciful to be a sinner. I know it. I'm a weak man and you hate me and the world hates me. And I've heard it all but I'm going to tell you something. We'll see. We're going to see. We're going to see who was merciful and who was not. Who acted like a child of the kingdom and who was just absolutely, it was not my way. Oh boy. Find that verse for me. I'd like to preach that next Sunday. God wants you to have your way because you're right. I want you to bring that verse to me. I'll preach a sermon on it next Sunday. I haven't found it yet. And so when he satisfies the hunger and he makes the believing merciful, you know what that does to someone? It makes you pure heart. Your heart starts getting pure. It's the mercy that he extends to us, we extend to others that makes us have a pure heart. And when your heart gets pure, here's what you start doing. You start becoming a peacemaker. There's no characteristic of the kingdom of God for being a rabble-rouser. It's the peacemaker. And then when all of that comes into play, when all of that comes into play, and you're, you're now living the Christ life, the kingdom life, the grateful life, the pure heart life, the humble life, You're going to look so different, you're going to be made fun of. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you. You believe it? The Lord came perfect. 
He was the embodiment of love, and all he could do was plot to kill him. That's all the religious group could think to do. The common people and the children heard him gladly, but the religious people pondered how to destroy him, and it hasn't changed. Religious people still want to kill him. By our actions, our life, our attitudes. We didn't get very far into salvation, but this is the foundation, I promise you. It is. The Lord opens his earthly ministry with what it looks like, smells like, tastes like to be a child of his. And it's genuine or it's phony. Do you believe it? you buy it? I read to you the Beatitudes today one at a time. My commentary is what it is. Believe the Bible. Ask the Lord what he means by those things if you don't believe me. Ask the Lord. The Holy Spirit just can't wait to talk to you. He wants to get on chat, whatever, and Facebook. And he wants to talk to you. And he, wants to, he wants to chat with you. Well, he just loves that. I've got the latest electronics up there waiting to chat with you. But that's what we do. I think for retirement, I'm going to invest in contacts. People are going to go blind. Everybody's got a phone hooked to the end of their nose. And my, my phone gets, it, it, uh, it, it gets greasy from my finger doing that all the time. Yours do that. You wonder who fried bacon next to your phone? i got to wipe it off all the time, but you know what? Most people have a nose print on there because this is the fascination of the world. You have this. Christians, you have the Word of God. Does the phone have a use in it? Yes. Can it be very good? Yes. Is that how we're using it? There are people you take their phone... Okay, let me ask you this one before we quit. We're going to close up right now. You ever get your phone get halfway to work and you got to go back because now you're sweating? Huh? Forgot my phone. I did that the other day, the best day I had in a long time. And when I got home, there wasn't one call on there. I'm that guy. <laughs> I am that guy. No one calls me. I left my phone at home and I did, I did, I thought, oh, oh well. Because where I work, there are 37 phones. And if you want me real bad, you can get me there. And if you can't get me there, you don't know me well enough to call me. And so I went to work. And I got home. No one had called me. Now, i got to say this. I wasn't gone very long. I learned to do a day's work before lunch. But when I got home, no one had called me. My life didn't fall apart. No one hated me. My wife didn't leave. Nothing happened bad because I didn't have my phone. Get off the phone, Don. Quit talking about it. I will when you get in the Word of God. When you have a passion for the Word of God like you do for the electronics and the things of this world. On Saturday night, are you reading the Bible or are you looking through Netflix? And you start a movie. In ten minutes, you look at each other. Start another one. And by the time you start the last one, you've got about half of it. You've got to go to bed because it's now 11.30 and it's time to get up. Folks, I want to tell you this. The Lord laid down as clear as you can lay it down the characteristics of a kingdom child. You believe it or you don't. I'm not asking you to believe a thing that I said outside of the Bible today. I'm asking you to look at it. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. This is the foundation of salvation. The Lord came, sat down among the people, and he said, you want to know who's blessed? Do you want to know who the blessed are? Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Blessed are these people who have these characteristics. They're absolutely broken before me. And they say this to me, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will. Not what I want to do with my life, Lord. What do you want me to do with my life? I tell you that when I prayed that prayer when I was younger, I was crying so hard I could barely speak to it. I was scared. I was terrorized. 
I mean it, Lord. Tonight I pray in this, not my will but thine. You do with me what you want to, to do with me. And I was very afraid. Since I learned this, he took me to some ugly places. But it's all been joy. It's all been a joy. To get the privilege to stand before people, whoever they are, whatever they're doing, what they know, what they don't know, no matter where they're from or where they've been, I get to stand before people and declare his name. Could it be better than that? I do. Me. I came from nowhere and I'm heading there quick. And I'm going to tell you this about me. He called me to stand before whoever and declare his name. What a gift for me. He's called you for the same in your circle. In your, you are called, if you are a Christian, to a ministry. People should look at you and see Jesus. You don't have to be in a pulpit. You don't have to be in a classroom. You don't have to be anywhere. They should look at you and say, look at that. Why her eyes just glow. Why he has a grin that just can't get off his face. But he's always kind. Am I telling you that's me? No. But I'm telling you this. The Lord said, these are the characteristics of his children. Pray with me. Father, we thank you now for this day. We thank you for this hour. We thank you for the blessings of coming together and opening your word and looking into it. And for those in here this morning and outside, for those in the other building, we just pray this, that you, God, would just open our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Teach us. Not about what we have. Not about even who we are, but who you are, and then who we are because of you. Father, we pray for a genuine salvation experience from each one listening. We continue with this, but Father, today we just want you to teach us, drive deep into our hearts the power of our Lord's teaching. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.